the first time I had a fight with someone or an argument, I went and lay on my bed and I said, oh, gosh, I can't stay here. This is awful. I had a, a fight. But then the Moktak was hit and it was time to go to practice. And so I down I went and sat down and let that digest. And the beauty of it being a, a Zen center is that we all go back to the practice and practice together. So it's not just bumping up against one another in community, which happens everywhere. It, it has this... Uh, this returning to practice together. That's the one thing that brings us all together. And there is such a, a beauty in that and a relief as a human being to be able to just come together and inquire. Nancy Brown Hedgepeth has been a Zen student and part of the Quantum School of Zen since 1979. She has practiced at the Cambridge Zen Center, the Providence Zen Center, the New Haven Zen Center, as well as temples in South Korea. She is a retired nurse, and she helped run a farm in southern Rhode Island with her husband. Nancy received Inca, or permission to teach, from Zen Master Sung San in 1994. She currently lives at the Providence Zen Center, where she serves as co-guiding teacher. You are listening to Sit, Breathe, Bow, podcast for practitioners. Each week, leading Buddhist teachers share life experiences and insights to help guide your meditation practice, as well as your life off of the cushion. I am your host, Ian Whitemore. This podcast is sponsored by the Providence Zen Center a residential Buddhist community in Cumberland, Rhode Island. The Providence Zen Center provides opportunities for short and long-term residency and holds retreats from one day to three months. For more information, please visit ProvidenceZen.org. Nancy, it's great to have you on the podcast. You've been one of the people who has been helping make this podcast come into being as a, a member and a, a guiding teacher at the Providence Zen Center. And so it's really great to have you on uh, the show. And there's this quote I, I heard of you where you're talking about how you came to the Dharma, how you came to start practicing. And there was particularly one portion of it that I loved so much. So I'm just going to read the quote and then ask you about this one particular piece. So this is what you said. It seemed like the places in my life that were the most dissatisfactory, where I experienced suffering, where I felt like I was contributing to other people's suffering, seemed to have to do with habits of mind. And what I really loved about that Genesis <laughs> quote, that Genesis thought of like why you were coming to the, to the practice, was not that you were noticing your own suffering, but that you were noticing that you were contributing to other people's suffering. And I just wonder if you can say a little bit about, about that realization that you were having, that, you know, your own suffering, but also how that caused other people to suffer. Yeah, thanks, Ian, and thanks for having me on, and thank you so much for doing these podcasts. 
that that was my experience, and I think it's probably most people's experience that we we identify, we live our our places of unhappiness and dissatisfaction and the the hurt that we see we not only feel but cause other people uh, the fear we feel the shame we feel those all those things are completely connected with how we are in this world um, the more i read about about buddhism and and um, it, after college between college and um, and starting to practice the the more i I felt an affinity for how uh, how Buddhism talked about mind and action and karma, the our ha- mind habits, the law of, of cause and effect, but particularly in talking about it as mind habits, that it's something Buddhism has a very practical approach to to how we function and how we see uh, our our hearts and minds in in relation to everything and everyone and so people and and animals and plants and our earth and uh, there's nothing that you can that needs to be left out of that I had a certain sense of, and I think everybody does, of wanting to be helpful. And I kept noticing that when it was, when I wanted to be helpful and tried, if I followed my own ideas, and I'm putting little quotes around that word ideas, um, I just tended to make make more of a mess, (laughs) contribute to (laughs) problems rather than actually uh, help. I loved that line in particular. Uh, you know, I saw myself in it a little bit. Partly I was sitting the other day and uh, I was thinking about somebody who, you know, just sort of struggling with life and work and stuff. And I could see how my habits of mind. You know, I was in this experience of suffering, thinking about this person, but I was also kind of locking this person into a particular experience as well mm. because of my habits of mind. And I, I guess I just really loved your inclusion of the contributing to other people's suffering, mostly because when we talk about coming to Buddhism, you know, we talk about the the Four Noble Truths, but it, it's very often interpreted as, oh yeah, that's my own suffering. Not just like suffering in general, like my thinking actually causes causes me suffering, but suf- the suffering of the world. Mm. I know that you were also, you worked on a farm for quite a long time. And I think you, did you raise garlic? Is that what I? Yeah. Maybe I heard Garlic that. was one of our favorite crops. Yeah. We raised a lot of things, but definitely garlic. And I'm I'm wondering if there was something, some overlap with 
how you approach the Dharma and then you, your approach to farming that either co uh, facilitated a, an understanding or. Yeah, that's, that's a work in progress for me. Um, how I was just listening to a, a Wendell Berry mm-hmm. interview by Bill Moyers the other day. And he used this, this uh, expression. Uh, he, he talked about meeting the place as it is and what it asks for in, in talking about how to, how to live on this earth in a, in a sustainable, generous, cohesive way. And, and it really had to do with not imposing my idea, which goes back to what we were talking about before, but meeting the place and the moment as it is and asking what it needs, what, what's called for. Hmm. And what is, what's your experience say about that? Yeah. It, it's a, to me, it's a mixed experience because you, for instance, here at Providence Zen Center this year, we put in, we asked what the community wanted planted and, and a lot of tomatoes (laughs) (laughs) were were what residents wanted. Um, And then of course I, last year I had put in, in the fall, I'd put in the garlic and and did a lot of potatoes, and we did flowers for the altar, and um, and a, a, many other crops. Um, so we were bringing what we wanted and needed, um, and we were trying to uh, improve the fertility of the soil over the last since last winter. And um, you know, adding compost and leaving part of it fallow, and um, and starting a crop rotation where different plants could could uh, help other plants over the long term. There's there's something about just being present in the garden that's exactly about same as being present with another person or or with a job or with play Um, whatever we're doing when we just completely doing do it we're not separate so when we meet the garden what what's called for I try to enter it and look around and see what's what looks dry what looks like it's thriving exactly as it is what what place needs some weeding to let some plants thrive um and, you know and just see what's going on and try to respond to it with with the plants in mind and also with with the needs of the community in mind which is to me a, a it's exactly the same as meeting any other situation. How is it? 
Start with where we are exactly in this moment. See, let our eyes hear and our let our eyes see and our ears hear and etc. Just be in the moment. See what's how it is and then respond. Hopefully appropriately. So learning to be available to this moment, practicing is that is being available to this moment. So when I uh, lead retreats, which are you know not not the same kind that you lead, but I use this quote from Job often because I I lead these sort of walks uh, through the woods when I do them, and there's this great quote that has always struck me as you know very compatible with my Zen life. But ask the animals, and they will teach you. The birds of the air, and they will tell you. Ask the plants of the earth, and they will teach you. And the fish of the sea will declare to you. And to me, I've always just took that as like, yeah, go out and have a relationship with the earth that isn't me trying to figure out what I think is best, but really try to be in relationship. Mm, that's beautiful. Because if there is a deep listening, it comes alive, just like all you know, all relationships. Um, yeah, so it's, it's in that moment listening to how it is and, and they're teaching us how to listen. Right. By simply doing what they're doing, being as they are. And I've heard you speak about the earth mudra mm-hmm. of the Buddha as this opportunity for us to ground ourselves when the sort of the line you used was the the demon armies of our habits of mind which i just love, I love that but truly you know when mara is appearing right and you you just go down and you just touch the earth which you know we're sort of simulating what the buddha did and i'm wondering if you've had that experience in your own life and what what that experience was like when you what is the, how does the earth mudra appear for you personally? I, there's some phrases that I use that help me. Um, and the one that sort of points to that most, that comes to mind when you ask me that is, how is it just now? And to me, that mudra, that touching the earth is the, a witness to this moment is a is a bringing ourselves to this moment how is it with with that quality of inquiry of open mindedness open heartedness how is it just now and you know the the earth witness mudra to me isn't so much please earth witness how Clear and wonderful I've been as Shakyamuni Buddha. <laughs> Not that at all, but yeah. it's, it's it's revisiting this connectedness, this this mm. being, this uh, quality of open-heartedness, open-mindedness to the moment. Now, the Earth Mudra is that literally just uh, taking your hands out of the. 
the left hand, I, I believe the left hand stays in the, on the lap in the universal mudra and the right hand touches the, reaches down and touches the earth. When I heard you speaking about it, it was such a beautiful, for me, sort of a kinesthetic practice mm. where it was, you know, your mind is like, oh my God, I don't know if I'm doing this right, <laughs> whatever the doubts are, right? And then you just reach down and you touch the earth or the, you know, whatever's beneath you. Yeah. And all of a sudden there is a witness. Not to our sort of greatness as the Buddha, but... There's there's connection. Yeah, to the relationship of all all being. Yeah, and, and that idea can fall away of relation to all beings. And there's just, you know, the fingers feeling it. Uh-huh. That actual, as you said, kinesthetic uh, reaching out and touching. It's idea falls away in that moment, and there's just that experience. Right. Because there could be, yeah, the idea, something is laid on top of it, I guess, when mm. I just said it that way. Right. So just even as you're feeling, as your fingers are there, you're just in that in that space. Or how would you say that? I, I, yeah, I actually no, I that, love this that, idea. Yeah. That says it. Yeah. That moment. That moment, yeah. So you also have lived in a number of residential communities. Um, you, you, your first community is the one that I live in now, I think. Yes. Uh, Cambridge Zen My Center. My original Zen home. Yeah. <laughs> And um, and now you live at the Providence Zen Center, which is uh-huh. the community that's actually uh, sponsoring this podcast. And I'm wondering if you can say a little bit about what it's like to to live in community, what that does for your practice, um, why somebody might want to do that, why they might not want to. Well, I'll tell you, the reason I actually moved in in the first place was to help me start a meditation practice, because I tried at home, but I I just couldn't seem to get started. And so I finally, out of desperation, just said, I have to move in and go to a place where it's happening twice a day and I have to go. Right. I'm one of the those horses that needs the whip, <laughs> not, not yeah. just the shadow of the whip. <laughs> yeah. So I moved in, and um, and it was wonderful. You know, the practice morning and evening, the uh, the talks, the support you get, all that, the group practice, and support for trying that, and just showing up no matter how you feel is hugely, has at least for me, been hugely helpful. The first time I had a fight with someone or uh, an argument, uh, I went and lay on my bed and I said, oh gosh, I can't stay here. This is awful. I had a, a fight. And But then the Moktak was hit and it was time to go to practice. And so I down I went and sat down and just let, that had to just sit with that 
and let that digest and um, not comfortable. And that's a, a very significant piece of living in, a, in any community um, is seeing our, our likes and our dislikes and our, all of our opinions appear and not getting what we think is the right thing, not getting what we want and and sitting with that seeing what we don't like in ourselves seeing all the the comparisons and the judgments and the evaluations of self and others and and seeing our attachments that to those because certainly that's part of what we do as human beings but then we then we grasp on the beauty of it being a, a Zen center is that we all go back to the practice and practice together. So it's not just bumping up against one another in community, which happens everywhere in any kind of community. It, it has this, uh, this returning to practice together. That's the one thing that brings us all together a motley crew in any Zen center. You know? <laughs> We're not there as an intentional community about like sustainable farming. You know, We're here to practice and we don't pick necessarily the people we live with, but we all come together. We're all here to practice. And there is such a, a beauty in that and a relief as a human being to be able to just come together and and inquire come together and just sit and chant and uh, make try to make harmony with the chanting and sit and try to digest whatever appears and so that happens in community, and it helps us bring that into the rest of our lives as well. It's the old potato cleaning theory, which <laughs> anyone who's lived in one of our Zen centers has heard, that there's you can clean potatoes individually, or you can throw them into a great big pot with water and start stirring. And they bump up against each other and clean each other. Not always comfortable, uh, but quite beautiful. When I'm telling people about where I live, I tell them that it's quite different than other sort of collective places or communal living places because behind the decision to live together with other beings is this teaching that the living together is also part of the teaching right? mm. that you have the opportunity to see your karma uh, as it arises in your relationships and you know in other sort of communal living situations that's just not present um, somebody doesn't do the dishes well they're a jerk for not doing the dishes rather than oh yeah what is what what's appearing for me yeah here? as they're not doing, you know, they're still not doing the dishes, but what's appearing for me in that. 
Yeah. And what's the right action, which is such an interesting layer, you know, aside from just the sitting and bowing and chanting. Absolutely. Get to see our own piece of our part in the, in the whole dance. And I, I sometimes talk about it as like a microcosm for, you know, society at large, only, you know, not as extreme, where you, you see how ideas can spin right out into, uh, you know, extreme positions. But it's all present sort of right here in the, the Sangha, which I guess, you know, for me, one of the reasons I think to live in community is, you know, if you want to see why society acts the way it does, <laughs> come to a temple. You yeah, know, come to a temple to... and sit with yourself. And sit with yourself, <laughs> yeah. And see, yeah, see what your contributions are to it. Mm-hmm. And our contribute, you know, how our mind functions. Yeah. It's how everyone else's functions. We may have our own eccentricities, but, you know, and all of our multitude of individual takes on that, but it's all, it's all mind functioning, the human mind functioning. Yeah. Which then also allows you to be helpful, I think, if you've come to see how your mind functions, then you can also see how to be helpful. Yeah. Compassion can grow out of that too. Right. <laughs> Which I'm not so good at. What? Which I'm not so good at. I just, I love just like, ugh. it is, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm getting better. <laughs> So you've been practicing since 1979, yeah. which is, you know, a couple days on the cushion. And I'm wondering if there's any part of your practice that's sort of come alive to you more recently, or if there's something you've returned to recently that is. There is. There is. And we touched on it earlier, but this is. Well, I'll just, I'm going to just read this quote of Zen Master Sung San's and then talk a little bit about it. It kind of dovetails with what we were talking about with the earth mudra. Mm. Um, here it goes. Human life has no meaning, no reason, and no choice. But we have our practice to help us understand our true self. Then we can change no meaning to great meaning which means great love. We can change no reason to great reason, which means great compassion. Finally, we can change no choice to great choice, which means great vow and bodhisattva way. I, I was just gave a presentation at a philosophy of Buddhism class last week, and this was the quote that um, I, one of the quotes I used along with the story of Kyung Ho Sinim. When we look at, at this world simply intellectually, it, at least for me, it's really hard to find any non-shifting foundation, something that actually gives some, some grounding. When we practice, 
and this Desansrim used this this expression, our true self, which is pointing to that which we share with this whole universe. When we do anything completely, that's already our true self appearing in that moment, if only for that moment. So we practice being present. We practice being in this moment, available in this moment, begin to string together the experience of moments of presence. And that's not only true self, but the interconnectedness that we have, our our interbeing, as Thich Nhat Hanh talks about, the, the complete connection and the oneness that we are with this universe. Anytime we have that experience, and that experience is not extraordinary, that everybody, every human being has that experience every day, many, many times a day. We just don't string those moments together enough to always notice them. So we practice that and we find out for ourselves from our own experience that we are completely connected. Our our school Zen master, Bobby Rhodes, used this example once that I just loved. She held up her two hands and she said, so my right hand is stronger than my left hand, but my right hand never says to my left hand, you're no good, you're inadequate. I don't like you. You know, they help each other. They work together. They're part of the same body. Um, and that these these experiences of of being connected to this universe and to one another, we we can build on those, and we can see for ourselves that, another person is part of us, that, that veil that is, can be so thick between us and others, or us and this, this moment can begin to soften and get gauzy, and we, we get to experience it ourselves, not as an idea, but actually as a truth that we're not separate from the world. And anytime we do anything completely, that's the case. So we practice being present. We practice inquiry into this moment, open-mindedness, open-heartedness to this moment of our life and bring that into even the places where that's hard to do for us. those places where we feel the fear, where we feel the shame, where we uh, feel separate. We, we practice so that we can bring that very inquiry and openness to those places. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sit, Breathe, Bow. 
I hope you found the conversation with Nancy Brown Hedgepeth encouraging and helpful for your practice. You can find out more about her teaching and her retreat schedule by visiting ProvidenceZen.org. A special thanks to our sponsor, the Providence Zen Center. If you would like to deepen your practice commitment, I encourage you to explore PZC's residential and retreat opportunities. You can find all of that information at ProvidenceZen.org. If you would like some guidance on how to meditate, there are some videos you can watch at ProvidenceZen.org videos. My name is Ian Whitemar, and I hope you'll join me again next week.